Good morning, Oak Leaf. How are we doing? We good? Good, good, good. Well, hey, it's been a little while since I've been here. I think uh, like six, seven weeks, and I've been missing you guys, so I am glad to be back, glad to be hanging out this morning, excited about what we're going to be covering. So here's what I thought we would do to get started this morning. I wanted to get you guys involved um, right out of the box. So uh, what I want to do is this. I, I want to say a phrase, and I want to get you to repeat the phrase after me, all right? So here's what I want us to say together. Here's the phrase. It is, I am as righteous as I will ever be. That's what I want you to say with me, okay? I am as righteous as I will ever be. So I'm going to count to three. You say it with me. You guys ready? Man, the nine o'clock was more awake than you guys. You have no excuse. Okay, so here we go. I'm going to count it off, and I want you to say it with me. Here we go. One, two, three. I am as righteous as I will ever be. All right, let's try that again, okay? I want you to say it again with me. I am as righteous as I will ever be. All right, now, I, I know we've said it twice, but let me make sure you know what you're saying, okay? Um, that word righteous, in case it's a weird word to you or you came in not really understanding what it is, here's what righteous means. It means innocent. It means blameless. It means sinless. It means guiltless. It means holy. It means perfect, Okay, that, that's what righteous means. So now that we know what it means, I want us to say it together again one more time. Are you ready? Here we go. I am as righteous as I will ever be. Now here's my question for you this morning, Oakleaf Church. For those of us that are here and we say that we know Jesus, here's my, here's my question for you. Do you believe that is true? Do you believe that? I'm as righteous as I'll ever be. Do you believe that's true. It, it was awesome. Last week I had a chance to teach this message at, uh, at the Dallas camp, and it was just classic because I asked that question. I had a lady, two ladies in the front, man, one on this side and one on this side, and as soon as I asked that question as loud as they could, and at the same exact time, one of them said, yes, and the other one said, no, like really loud, right? And I could just imagine if we were to pass the mic around the room this morning that we'd probably get those same answers from a lot of you. I would bet some of you are here and you go, yeah, yeah, man, I feel like I am. Some of you guys here are going, absolutely not. Um, some of you this morning probably are thinking to yourself, I can't even bring myself to say that right now because I feel like I'm so far off the mark. And if that's you, here's what I want to say to you. I can totally identify with where you're at. I was a kid who grew up in church. I think I've told you a previous time I was here that my mom went into labor with me sitting in a church service. So I've been in church a long time, right? Like 30 years of church. And I grew up in church hearing this. I grew up in church hearing that I had messed up. I had done some things that were wrong, done some things that had offended God, done some things that would make me, you know, a, a sinful person. And I, I get that, you know, I'm not perfect. Um, and, and then I also heard that there was a man named Jesus who was also God who came into the world to offer me forgiveness of sins, to offer me eternal life, and to fix this broken relationship between me and God. And so I grew up hearing this in church all my life. And at age 14, I remember with my dad by my bed one night praying and making this decision to trust Christ as my Savior. Getting on board with his truth of, man, I messed up, I'm not perfect, I'm a sinner, and, and I believe Jesus is the one who can fix this between me and God. So I did that. Now, here's kind of where it went from there. And, and I would guess maybe it's the same for you. After I made that decision to trust Christ, I immediately started trying to figure out what I could do next to make God really like me, right? 
So I, I believe Jesus loved me enough to send his son into the world to die for me. But after I had trusted in Jesus as my savior, I, I started kind of believing that God was mad at me again. And so I did what a lot of us do after we trust in Christ. I, I made my list of things that good Christians do and things that good Christians don't do. And my goal was to pull off everything on this list so that I could run back to God on occasion and say to God, look how good I'm doing, look how good I've been, don't you love me, aren't you pleased with me? And so here's how it looked for me. Um, I decided I was going to burn some old CDs, right, um, that... You know, a month later, I went out and bought again. It was kind of dumb. But, you know, you burn all old CDs. You, you don't watch any rated R movies. You don't smoke. You don't cuss. You don't drink beer. You don't hang out with certain kinds of people. You don't go to certain kind of places, right? So that, that was my Christian life. Again, believing that unless I pulled all this stuff off and went back and showed God how good I was, that he would never truly love me, never truly be pleased with me. Now, I, I want to tell you what happened in my Christian life. Because that was a good part of my Christian life. I got really tired. I got really tired. I, I got really frustrated. Um, I found myself being really arrogant. I found myself being very religious. I found myself looking at the guy down the street going, God, you got to love me more than you love that dude because I'm pulling off a lot more of this stuff than he is, right? And here's what eventually happened. I never felt any more loved by God after I pulled off all of this stuff than I did before. And I got this close to throwing in the towel on my relationship with him out of pure frustration of, of not ever feeling good enough to live up to this standard that I felt like God had placed on me, but in fact I had placed on myself. Some of you guys that are here this morning, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And you know what I'm talking about either because you're here right now in that place. You've been there in the past. Some of you know what I'm talking about because you've already thrown in the towel on your relationship with God. You've given up because you feel like this way of living, the standard of living, you just can't keep up with it. You know, I, I was that kid growing up in church who would listen to Jesus say in the Gospels, come and follow me. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. And I remember being the kid going, that's a lie. That is a lie. I don't know why he would say this. This Christian life, it is hard, it is heavy, and it is burdensome, right? Jesus is a liar right there. I remember being that kid. Some of you guys, you feel like that this morning. And here's my prayer for you. My prayer this morning is that God would open up your heart, open up your mind, and set you free from religion. My prayer this morning is that you would leave this place and that you would feel more loved by God than you've ever felt loved in your entire life. My prayer this morning is that if you know Jesus, you would leave this place truly believing that you have nothing to earn, nothing to prove, and that you are in fact in the sight of God as righteous as you will ever need to be. I want to show you where we find this amazing truth in the scripture. So if you have a Bible, take it out and turn it open to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If you're like me, you grew up in church, this might be a familiar passage. Here's my encouragement to you this morning. Do not just listen to this like something you've heard a bunch of times. Hear it. Reflect on it. Let it sink deep into your heart. I, I want you to listen to this. 2 Corinthians 5, starting in verse 17. Let's read what the Apostle Paul has to say. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ 
reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. And we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And listen to this, verse 21, you cannot miss this. For our sake, the sake of every person sitting in the room this morning, for our sake, he made him, God made Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now, I, I want to point out some amazing truths from this passage this morning. If you're taking some notes, here's what I want you to write down first. I want you to write down, Jesus is my righteousness. Jesus is my righteousness. Church, this morning, you are not your own righteousness. There's nothing about you, there's nothing that you can do um, to, to come into the presence of God and convince God that you've been good enough followed enough rules, been a great enough person to make him love you and accept you. You were never designed to be that for yourself, and you can't be that for yourself. I can't be my own righteousness. Jesus is our righteousness. The first place we see this amazing truth about Jesus all the way back in the Old Testament. If you go back to the Old Testament book of Jeremiah, you find in chapter 23, the prophet Jeremiah talking to the, to the Jewish people on behalf of God, and here's what he's telling them. He's saying, guys, listen, um, you failed to follow God, you've been really disobedient, you've been acting really dumb, so the promised land that God gave you, he's kicking you out of it. Like he's exiling you from the land that he gave you. I, I want to challenge you, go back and read the Old Testament. I, I think a lot of people have a messed up view of the Old Testament and the God that they think is there. You know, you hear a lot of people say, uh, God in the Old Testament was this mean, cruel God, right? Um, I want to do a series on the Old Testament God called God's Not Mean, People Are Dumb. Um, because here's the reality of it. In the Old Testament, God time and time again told the people, follow me, I'll be your God, do what I say, I will bless you like crazy. But then God would go, if you don't do that, things are going to go really bad for you, right? So God's not mean, people are dumb. Because what did they do? They went, ah, we're just going to go do our own thing. And then things go really bad for them, and they come crawling back to God and say, God, I'm sorry, forgive us, take us back. And every single time, what does God do? He takes them back. He's merciful. He's patient with them. When Jeremiah 23, it's no different because in the same breath that God tells these people, he's kicking them out of the promised land with, he also tells them that there's coming a day where he's going to restore them back to himself. So in Jeremiah 23, starting in verse 5, listen to what God says through Jeremiah. He says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely, and shall execute judgment and righteousness in the land. In his days Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he, uh, by which he will be called. And if you read this in the original language of the Old Testament, it would have simply said, Jehovah Sidkenu, the Lord our righteousness. Jesus is telling a bunch of sinful people that there's coming a day when he's going to send a king into the world to provide righteousness for sinful people. 
God is telling people through Jeremiah, there's coming a day where you're not going to have to try to prove yourself to me through rules and through commands and through following lists of do's and don'ts. But in fact, there's somebody I'm sending, and his name is Jehovah Sitkinu, and he's going to come into the world, provide righteousness for sinful people, and fix this broken relationship between me as God and those people that are sinners and disobedient people. That's what he's going to do. Now, if you go back to 2 Corinthians 5, you know what Paul's saying there? He's going, that guy that the Old Testament talked about, Jehovah said, Kenu, the Lord, our righteousness, he was just here. He was here, and his name was Jesus. He was the one who God sent into the world to provide righteousness for sinful people. Church, what I have to get you to understand this morning is that you cannot provide righteousness for yourself. You cannot walk into the presence of God and say, God, look how good I've been. Look at all I've done. Here's my list. Look at all I've pulled off and convince God that he should love you and be pleased with you. You can't. The the Bible, I told you this when I spoke on covenant back several weeks ago here. The Bible actually says if you and I come into the presence of God trying to be our own righteousness, trying to convince God that we've been good enough to be loved by him, um, it's like us, according to the prophet Isaiah, coming in before God with a handful of polluted garments or filthy rags. The Bible, you study that, it means used menstrual cloths. It's like us offering that to God as our gift. Here's how good I've been, God. Here's why you should love me. In the New Testament, Philippians 3, Paul says it's like us bringing God a handful of dung, right? I mean, there's the picture. God, here's how great I've been. Here are my gifts. Here's why you should be pleased with me. Church, you cannot do anything to be loved and accepted by God. The good news is that's exactly why Jesus came. Jesus came into this world to do something for us that we could never do for ourselves. He came to provide us righteousness so that we could be loved and accepted by God. And the very place that that happened was at the cross. I think a lot of times when we talk about the cross, we tend to stop short. Like if right now I just said to you, okay, think about the cross. Like imagine the cross. I think a lot of us in our brains, we would start thinking about, you know, the beatings. We would start thinking about the suffering. We would start thinking about the crown of thorns. We would start thinking about Jesus' beard being ripped out. We'd start thinking about the nails and, and the blood and the sword in the side. And we would think about all of this stuff, this, this suffering that he went through physically. And, and a lot of us, man, we see that and we go, man, I can't believe he'd do that for me. And as hellish as that was for Jesus... What I want you to understand this morning is that was not the worst part of the cross for him. The the physical suffering he went through for us, that was not the worst part of the cross for Jesus. The worst part of the cross for Jesus was what he experienced spiritually. Paul says it, 2 Corinthians 5.21, Jesus became our sin. Hear me, church. Jesus at the cross became your sin. So so let me make this super easy for you. Jesus at the cross, he became your pornography addiction. 
Jesus became your adultery. At the cross, Jesus became your lies. He became your anger. He became your hypocrisy. He became your worldliness. He became the way you treat your husband or your wife or your kids. He became the way you look down the street at that that person who's different from you and you hate on them. Jesus, at the cross, became your sin. So at the cross, when God the Father looked at his son, he didn't see Jesus the righteous, Jesus the innocent, Jesus the blameless, Jesus the guiltless, Jesus the holy. He saw Jesus the adulterer. He saw Jesus the liar. He saw Jesus the porn addict. He saw Jesus the substance abuser. He saw Jesus as the crappy dad and crappy husband. He saw Jesus as a racist. This is how God the Father saw his son. Why? Because he became our sin. He became our sin. And the Bible says in that moment God turned his back on his son at the cross and he left him there because he could not stand to look at what his own son had become. Your sin and mine. And at that moment as God had his back turned on his son, the Bible says he took all of the anger, all of the punishment, all of the judgment that was stored up, that our sin deserved, that we deserved, and he took it out on Jesus at the cross so that he would never have to take it out on us. You see, Jesus went through hell at the cross so that we would never have to. God abandoned Jesus at the cross so that he would never have to abandon us. God made Jesus into our sin so that we could become his righteousness. Church this morning, this is good news. Martin Luther calls this the great exchange. He says at the cross, God literally exchanged my sin for the righteousness of Jesus so that God would no longer have to look at me and see somebody who deserves his judgment and his wrath and his punishment, but instead he would look at me and see the same righteousness that he sees in his very own son, Jesus Christ. That is good news. Colossians chapter 1 verse 22 says this, beautifully listen to what it says the apostle paul again says but now he has reconciled you by christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation so going back to our question earlier do you believe that you are as righteous as you will ever need to be for god Or do you believe that even though you know Jesus, every time God looks at you, all he sees is your mistakes, your failures, your mess-ups? No, no, Colossians 1.22 says he looks at us and he sees us as holy. He sees us as blameless. He sees us without blemish. Guys, this is the hardest part of the good news to wrap my brain around. Like, I I can get forgiveness, right? You you can get forgiveness. We can get, I've messed up, um, God sees my mess-ups, sees my mistakes, he pushes them to the side, and he says, okay, I'm going to forgive you, and I'm going to let that go. Like, that's one thing. Scripture teaches, though, that it goes further than that. When God looks at me, James, as a sinful person, he doesn't just look at me and he says, you're forgiven. He looks at me and he says, no, 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 James, you are righteous. James, you are innocent. 
James, you are blameless. You are free from accusation. You see, this morning you know Jesus. No one, not even Satan himself, can walk into the presence of God and accuse you of anything. Why? Because if you know Jesus, you are the righteousness of him. And that's how God sees you. And you know who did that for you? You didn't do that for you. Jesus did that for you. Jesus is our righteousness. This is great news this morning, freeing news this morning. If we came in here as religious people, I pray that this news sets us free. We have nothing to prove, nothing to earn. Jesus is our righteousness. Uh, I'm going to point out a couple of other things from this passage. The next thing is this. If you know Jesus, you're a new creation. You are a new creation if you are in Christ Jesus. God has made you new. Um, every time I read this passage, I think about that show, Extreme Home Makeover. You guys watch that show? You, you know the show? Um, find a needy family. They bring a crew in. They tear their old house down. They build something new, build something amazing that all of us want to live in, right? Um, that's the show. Now, w- what they don't do is bring a crew in and they check this house out and they walk through and go, all right, we can work with this, right? Um, we'll put some new caulk, we'll, we'll paint, we'll hang some new pictures, we'll redo the carpet, we might even build on a, another garage on the side of the house. Like, we can work with this old thing and we can remodel it and make it something better, right? A lot of us have that picture in our brains that, that that's what God does with us. Can I tell you something? When you came to know Jesus, God didn't just remodel the old you. He tore the old you down and he built something new. He built something beautiful. If you are in Jesus Christ, you are a new creation. Now church this morning, that means a few things for us. First off, here's what it means. Again, it means you have nothing to prove to God. So if you're here this morning at church because you wanted to check something off the the spiritual to-do list, right? Like if you come to church, serve in a ministry, give your money, follow your list of do's and don'ts, all because you believe that God's going to be more pleased with you after you've pulled all this stuff off. Can I tell you something? All you're doing is living in arrogance and trying to pull off for yourself what Jesus has already pulled off for you. You're being prideful, you're belittling the cross, and you're killing yourself spiritually. And here's what you need to do. Here's as easy as it is. You need to quit trying so hard to impress God, and you need to start resting in what He's already done for you through Jesus Christ. That's what you need to do this morning. For others of us that are in Christ Jesus, new creation, it means that we have got to stop letting our past define us. Listen, I've done things that I would not want anybody to stand on this stage and share about me. And I know several of us in the room feel that same way. I've messed up, I've done stupid things, so have you. Can I tell you something? If you are in Christ, you are a new creation, and according to God, your past is in the past, and it does not need to be in your present. So for those of you that are here, and you have this mindset of, Well, God can't love me. God can't use me. God can't do anything with me. I know Jesus, but look at what's back there. Listen to me. You're a new creation. I don't care what you've done. I don't care the mistakes that you've made. And neither does God. He loves you. He accepts you. Not because of what you've done or haven't done, but because of Jesus. And he's made you new, and he wants you to live like it. We've got to let the past be the past. 
present can't be defined by what's back there. You're a new creation. Still, there are others of us in the room. What this means for us is this, is that we have got to stop making excuses for why our lives are characterized by unrighteousness. We've got to stop making excuses for why our lives are characterized by unrighteousness. It always worries me and it always bothers me when I hear somebody who says they know Jesus make a statement like this. They would go, well, Jesus died on the cross, so my sins are forgiven, and uh, it doesn't really matter what I do because he, he already died for them. Here's what I'd say to you if that's your mindset. Be very careful and please read this book because you may not know him. You may not know him. See, for those that know Jesus, you get that when God makes you a new creation, He changes your heart, and He changes your mind, and He changes your desires and your passions, and He changes your thoughts. And for some of us, that takes a long time. But, but here's the deal. Even though we fall and fail and mess up, there is something inside of us, if we know Jesus, that desires to live a righteous life. And we don't desire that to try to earn God's love. We desire that because we understand He already loves us. We don't desire to live a righteous life because we want to please God. We desire to live a righteous life because we understand God is already pleased with us because of Jesus Christ. So for those of us that are here that make excuses for our sin but say we know Jesus it's time for you to come to grips with whether or not you truly know Him. And if you do know Him, this morning through the power of the Holy Spirit that lives inside of you, it's time for you to put your sin to death. You are a new creation. You're a new creation if you're in Christ Jesus. The last thing I want to point out is this. Not only is Jesus our righteousness, not only are we new creations in Him, but we are ambassadors for Christ, the Bible says. We are ambassadors. This verse tells us what our life's purpose is all about. And, and here's what this word means. I, I want to give this to you so that you can get this. This word ambassador means a diplomatic official of the highest rank sent by a government to represent it on a temporary mission as for negotiating a treaty. Let me read that again so you can get that. An ambassador is a diplomatic official of the highest rank the highest rank, sent by a government to represent it on a temporary mission as for negotiating a treaty. So in these verses, Paul is telling us this. God has saved us. He's reconciled us to himself. He's covered us in the righteousness of Christ, made us a new creation so that we can go into this world and represent him to a world that desperately needs his hope. We are supposed to go into this world and make peace between people and a people that need this God who has sent his son into the world to be their righteousness. Your whole purpose in this life is to represent God well while you're here. You see, your purpose, let me say it like this. Your purpose in life is to tell as many people about Jehovah Sidkenu, Jesus Christ, the Lord your righteousness, as you possibly can before your life is over. That's your life's purpose. And that's what Paul's reminding us of. God put you here, and he says it's so amazing, to make his appeal through you. God's using you to make his appeal to the world through you. You are an ambassador for Jesus Christ, negotiating peace between him and people who need him. So here's the deal. If you're here and you're a teacher this morning, go be an incredible teacher, but do not ever forget that you are an ambassador for Christ first and foremost. 
if you're if a bank person, I don't know what, accountant, whatever, go be awesome at math and crunching numbers. But remember, you're an ambassador for Christ. Tell some people about Jesus. If you're a doctor, go be a great doctor, but be an ambassador for Christ first and foremost, a lawyer. Be a great lawyer. Argue people into the ground, but don't forget that you're an ambassador for Jesus Christ. If you are a mom or a dad, be a great mom and dad and be an ambassador for Jesus Christ in your house with your kids. This is why your heart is beating. This is why you have breath in your lungs so that you can run into a lost world and share the hope of Jesus Christ, Jehovah Sidkenu, the Lord our righteousness. Now here's the truth. There is nothing more that our enemy wants than for us to keep our mouths shut. Because I, I don't know if you're like me, I hear this news and this is great news. This is good, this is freeing news. For a kid who grew up in church and grew up in religion for a long time, this is great news. This is great news that the world needs to hear. There's nothing more that our enemy wants than for us to keep our mouths shut about this great news. And the best way he does that with a lot of church people is he just gets us tired. He gets us burned out. He convinces us that the cross was not enough. That what Jesus did for us was not enough to make us loved and accepted and pleasing to God. And so our life's purpose, instead of being ambassadors for Christ, what our life's purpose becomes is, let me follow rules, let me be good enough, let me convince God why he should love me, and then we get tired, and that's how the enemy gets people out of the game, and that's why there's some of us sitting in the room who find ourselves being very religious, but have no affection for Jesus, and we never tell a single soul about him. We miss our purpose. Because the enemy's convinced us to be religious, to earn our way to God, and we forget that God made his way to us. That's the news that we've got to remember. So here's what I want us to do this morning. I've asked these guys to close us out with a song. Church, all I want you to do is this. Before we leave, I want you to embrace the truth that you can never do anything to save yourself. I want you to embrace that truth that you can never make yourself pleasing to God. I want you to embrace the truth that you cannot do anything to make God love you. But I also want you to embrace the amazing truth that Jesus has done that for you. He's done it for you. And I want us right now, I don't care if you sing this song. I don't care if you just want to sit and you want to listen. But my prayer this morning is that you truly would leave feeling and knowing that if you know Jesus, you are loved by God. He has done everything for you that needs to be done for God to accept you. And I pray this morning that we leave and we don't try to earn what's already ours, but we live in light of what God's already given us. So guys, I, I want you to sing this song. I'm going to come back and pray for us in just a minute. Let's let these lyrics wash over us and let's embrace this truth about who we are in Jesus Christ.